Hi, I'm Charlene Burns, a researcher with the ProLegis policy team. Welcome to the Congressional Record, a podcast by ProLegis. Each week, we bring you a deep dive into Congress's policy priorities. In this podcast, we'll cover the processes unique to the first branch of government and discuss some of the pressing policy issues legislators are working on. To stay informed about new podcast episodes and to get access to additional policy content, sign up for a free ProLegis account using the link in the description below. This week, we bring you a special episode of the Congressional Record. Jason Lemons, the Director of Public Policy at ProLegis, had the opportunity to interview Jeff Kane of the Lincoln Network about TikTok and why some members of Congress think it may be a national security issue. TikTok has joined the ranks of Twitter and Facebook in just four years since it was launched. It faces many of the same challenges and critiques as these legacy social media platforms, but has faced additional scrutiny due to its connections with China. Jason and Jeff discuss why TikTok's data collection and storage is concerning to some policymakers and whether Congress will be taking any action soon. Check out the video of this interview for the full version of this episode, where Jeff also talks about his recent interview with Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. The video is linked in the description below. Prologis is a new policy technology company founded by former congressional staffers and startup alums. We have one mission, to offer free tools that make it easier to learn about, track, and deepen your understanding of policy issues and legislation. We offer free features, such as U.S. code redlining and a personalizable dashboard to track the legislation and congressional activity that matters to you. We also offer nonpartisan, unbiased information through our briefings and podcasts. Sign up for a free account today to get full access to the suite of policy tools on ProLegis.com. Hi, my name is Jason Lemons. I'm the Director of Public Policy at ProLegis, and I have the great pleasure of filling in for Charlene Burns today to speak with Jeffrey Kane about a fun and interesting topic, uh, TikTok. Jeffrey Kane is a senior fellow at the Lincoln Network with their FACET program, working at the intersection of national security and emerging technologies. He is a technologist, author, and foreign correspondent who has substantial experience with The Economist and as a contributor to media outlets such as The Wall Street Journal, CNN, Time, and The Financial Times. He's also written several books, his most recent, The Perfect Police State, an undercover odyssey into China's terrifying surveillance dystopia of the future. And Jeff has also spent time as a Tech Congress fellow uh, with the House Foreign Affairs Committee investigating malign actors who deployed technology and illicit financial tools to undermine American democracy. So I think he's got a great uh, background for this conversation. Um, You know, I'm a little too old to actually use TikTok, or so I've been told. But, you know, I've seen continue to infiltrate um, the different social media that I use. You know, I've seen the dancing meme videos show up um, in my Twitter feed. And obviously the company has had booming success over the past several years. It recently last year knocked off Google as the most visited website. Uh, But their rise in popularity has been highly controversial to say the least, Um, particularly during the Trump eras. 
you know, TikTok has been a focus for uh, concern about its governance, about its data collection practices, and a host of other issues that I think make for a fascinating conversation. And I think we'll, we'll make this conversation really interesting. So with that, you know, why don't we kick off, Jeff? Uh, welcome, uh, and thank you for joining us today. Do you mind starting off with what, what is TikTok doing that has helped differentiate itself from the likes of other social media companies, say a Facebook and Instagram or Twitter? Sure, and thanks for ha having me, Jason. Um, so TikTok is an interesting and an unusual company in the American tech space for a huge number of reasons. Um, it really does most importantly represent the next stage in the evolution of social media. You know, this is not merely uh, your, your average tech company. This is not, uh, you know, your typical firm like Facebook or Instagram that, you know, rose through the usual avenues of, of Silicon Valley and, and, you know, connected people via social media, you know, make, thus making a fortune. TikTok is a bit different because it, um, it, it takes what Instagram has done before it, what Twitter and Facebook have, have done before it, and uh, it allows the user to, um, to, to tell stories, you know, to, to make videos that, uh, you know, are essentially uh, created in a kind of narrative format. People can express themselves and dance and, and uh, talk about what they did that day. They can form communities around politics. Um, this is quite different from Instagram, which is, a, which is the closest competitor because Instagram, but TikTok uh, takes that and it blends that into um, various algorithms that are, extremely sophisticated and uses them to create uh, somewhat coherent narratives across different videos. So there was a, um, a well-known tech writer, I forgot uh, who his name, but he recently wrote that what's unusual about TikTok is that you don't gaze into TikTok, but TikTok gazes into you. So it's, you know, it sees you, it sees, you know, what you're enjoying, what you're swiping, and it's learning about you. It's learning where your tastes lie, what you want to see next. So often people comment that when they're using TikTok for the first time, the videos seem really random. It's like, why am I seeing, you know, a cat jumping into a pool after this person talked about, you know, politics in Washington, D.C.? Um, and, and, you know, it seems random to us, but actually the algorithm is, is it's deep learning. It's learning about our habits, learning about um, you know, our, what we're doing, what we're posting. TikTok keeps a lot of these algorithms on a tight lid, but speaking from a technology background, we can say with very good certainty that they're using deeply, deeply complex um, facial recognition algorithms, voice recognition. They're able to, you know, hear the ticks in our voices as we're recording ourselves, recognize our, our face and sort of what we're feeling and thinking. And it uses all of this data to find correlations and to find causations among its users. That's why it's so successful because it knows so much about everyone. This is TikTok. This is the next stage of social media. It's a little bit dystopian and scary, but it is a major cultural phenomenon. I mean, whether you like it or not, it's here and it's probably here to stay. Yeah. Well, and, and I think an important point of that too is it's clearly found a way to engage with a particular demographic. And so, I mean, age is a huge factor and the demographics of the TikTok audience has exploded among the younger set, um, which has led to its expansion. You know, I know a number of people that we work with that are younger are on TikTok as opposed to sort of geriatrics like myself. Obviously, as you mentioned, it is not a Silicon Valley company, you know, as some of the other ones that we're used to. Can you talk a little bit about its origin story? Sure. So um, TikTok was founded in China, in mainland China, uh, by an entrepreneur named Zhang Yiming, who um, actually 
uh, you know, despite being from China, he, he sort of came of age in the Silicon Valley ecosystem. He was an employee at Microsoft for a long time, decided to leave Microsoft because he thought it was stultifying. It was a bit too hierarchical and he, he wanted to you know, go out in the world and make his mark. So as this was happening, this was, uh, you know, throughout the, the decade of the 2000s and, and the early 2010s, which was an era when China was starting to build its own technological ecosystem consisting of various devices and apps and internet of things and, and, and all that. Um, the U.S. had already kind of developed that ecosystem. Uh, the Chinese government had identified various technologies as the future of the national interest, not just a matter of you know, making a profit, making a, a social media app, but actually tied to the future of, of national well-being. And so, you know, if you were educated at a great school, you know, either in China or America, say you came out of Stanford or MIT, you had a few years of experience at Amazon or Microsoft under your belt, you could really return to China and make an incredible name for yourself. And a lot of uh, Chinese technologists have, have done that over the past 15 years or so. Um, so he was a part of this generation. He was he was also a part of a generation that was experimenting with the big data that was being developed or that was being gathered in China to create apps like this. In America, it's hard to see this. It's something that you see if you're in China and you're kind of using the apps that they use there. But China does have an incredible technological story because it leapfrogged the usual you know thing that you know, America and, and the Western countries did. So. You know, for example, we, you know, before we could do fintech, before we could do purchases on our apps, people had to get credit cards. But in China, China grew really fast. China was extremely poor about a generation ago. Um, it was uh, agrarian poverty. There weren't many opportunities. And so there wasn't, for example, a system of credit. You know, the average person could not go out there, get a credit card and, and you know, get a mortgage, buy a home. So the technologists like, um, like Mr. Zhang, stepped in and said, all right, well, we're going to leapfrog this uh, old system. We're not going to do credit cards. We're just going to develop apps instead that you can do anything on. You can, you know, post your video, you can purchase something like it's going to monitor all your data. It'll learn about you. And the trade-off being in China is that there aren't good privacy laws. The, the Communist Party monitors everyone it can. It's a one-party authoritarian dictatorship. The trade-off was that your typical regular Chinese person who maybe their parents were farmers and came from poverty, they're kind of the new urban class. They said, okay, this is very convenient. I'm going to accept these apps like WeChat uh, later. So the Chinese version of TikTok, um, just because they're, they're convenient, they're easy, they make, they, they make life good and the privacy doesn't matter as much. So this is, this is really the origins of where TikTok comes from in China. Yeah. Obviously, the connection between TikTok and China are sort of a central nexus for the controversy. How did it expand into the U.S.? Yes, so it expanded mainly through a firm that maybe some listeners are familiar with, so Sequoia Capital, which is a major venture capital firm in um, in Silicon Valley. You know, they were involved in the funding for Apple originally and Steve Jobs in the 80s. Um, it, it is the gold standard of funding in Silicon Valley. Uh, and, and this particular firm was interested in expanding um, into China. They saw they saw what was happening with these, you know, these Chinese entrepreneurs returning back to the country and they knew it was going to be a big opportunity. So they saw TikTok, they backed TikTok. I think it was uh, originally a $100 million investment and TikTok was actually rejected at least once. Then the venture capitalists came in. So it was it was kind of your ironic, typical 
marriage between, you know, these American capitalists and, you know, the Chinese uh, authoritarian system coming together and uh, building this kind of funny mishmash of different systems, bringing it to America and then saying, all right, this is the next cool app. This is going to overtake Instagram. It's popular among uh, Gen Z followers. We're going to place a big bet on this. And they were right. I mean, TikTok has, since those years in the past, you know, five, six years, it has just soared into American markets, especially among the Gen Z generation. Yeah. That expansion and that that popular growth sort of brought on it a renewed attention, particularly during the Trump administration years. And can you speak a little bit, just trying to outline the state of play, like what was President Trump's approach to TikTok and sort of, I, I mean, yeah, you can tell a little bit about his story. So under the Trump administration, there was a big pushback against Chinese firms trying to break into the, to the American market. And, you know, when I say that, I, I, I'm not saying Chinese firms that are making, you know, wheels or widgets. This is industries in that, that cover the national interest, that cover national security. So uh, there were lots of concerns about um, Chinese firms that, that make smartphones, that's Huawei, network equipment, uh, cameras, surveillance cameras. So that's Heek Vision, which is the biggest camera maker uh, in the world. Here's the problem. So, um, you know, under Xi Jinping, the, who's the, the Chinese president, uh, China has become far more authoritarian and aggressive and far-reaching in its foreign policy. Uh, his, so his government has passed a number of very harsh laws that often don't have clear jurisdiction. So one example is the national security law. There's another one called the national intelligence law. And there's a whole host of other laws too. Um, the national security law and the national intelligence law are worded vaguely. They don't specify jurisdiction. So, you know, they, the Chinese government can claim jurisdiction over Americans in America if they're ever visiting China, for example. And it, it specifically, uh, more specifically states that, uh, you know, if the Chinese government uh, or Chinese intelligence body requests information that relates to national security in some way, um, you're required to hand it over. It's a crime if you, you know, resist that, if you delay it, uh, you can get in a lot of trouble in China. Um, one of the things that, you know, I think that it, it's easy to forget being over here in the States is that China is a one-party state. It is not always rule of law. It is ruled by the party. So, um, you know, even if laws are in place that are intended to, say, protect data or limit government access to data, that doesn't matter as much, you know, as it would in the American context. Like here we have a system of courts. Um, you know, we, we have a vibrant national debate over surveillance and bias, algorithmic bias. Um, you know, there, there are criticisms of the FISA courts, the secret courts that police can use to, to access people's data. But the point is that, you know, all of this is out there in public. We can use the Freedom of Information Act. We can challenge it. You know, there's a lot that we can do in the national conversation. But China does not, you know, have that blessing. The Chinese people, no matter how much they care about their privacy or if they dislike the Communist Party, there's a, a massive limit on what they're allowed to say and do publicly. And if the government comes knocking and says, we want that data, then you pretty much have to give it to them. You can't really hire a lawyer and challenge it in court. You've literally written the book on this subject. So I think it's it's a fascinating part of this conversation. And, and I think it brings us to, you know, questions about the source of concern and why, why there has been such interest in TikTok specifically. Um, and, you know, I mean, to my mind, you know, the question boils down to 
why are dance meme videos a national security threat? Yes. So TikTok, the American version of TikTok, opened a business in, I think it was 2018 or 2016. Now, TikTok um, has, you know, since then, under the Trump administration in particular, come under attack for um, accusations that it could easily be abused by the Chinese government. Uh, this is an app that, you know, despite Gen Zers like making their cat videos and dancing to Rihanna or whatever, it actually is scooping up a lot of data on them. And one of the big national priorities that has been outlined by the Chinese government is the use of AI and predictive algorithms um, for the purposes of military expansion, defense, national security. Uh, you know, it might seem silly that, you know, they could use uh, people's dog puppy videos or whatever for that. But TikTok does represent a massive, uh, just a massive data bank of, you know, the, the faces of the faces, the voices, the the emotions, the feelings, the, you know, the thinking, kind of the, the spoken words of people all over the world. Uh, so, you know, one of the things in the field of AI that, that is, um, is often needed is that you need a lot of data because you can train your algorithm to, you know, attempt to say, predict someone's behavior or predict, you know, is this person going to commit a crime? This is one of the major fields in AI, predictive algorithms. So this is the big conundrum now, you know, with these draconian laws, this authoritarian system in China, if the Chinese government comes knocking on TikTok's door and says, we need data on either everybody, every person in America who's using the app, we're going to use that to train our algorithms and create a, you know, a massive AI surveillance system in China, or, you know, we're going to create a military defense system, try to predict like, you know, in, in a war scenario, what what would Americans do? How would they react? Like what areas would they kind of clump together in? What places would be more vulnerable to attack? Like these are all questions that the Chinese government can try to answer using data in TikTok, interestingly. The thing I just need to stress is that there's no, you know, there's no smoking gun right now. Like there's no, you know, it's not like we've caught them red-handed, you know, you've, you've, you've turned it over to the government, but there's a lot of kind of circumstantial and contextual evidence that really points to the possibility that that's happening. One example being the number of recent leaks in BuzzFeed news of uh, recordings and various, you know, public relations materials in which they say like deflect questions about China. And there's one recording where an employee is heard saying that China sees everything. There's no escaping the Chinese government, like this sort of thing. It really does raise alarm bells. And this is why both the Trump and, you know, potentially now the Biden administration are going to start getting tough on this. Um, and there's clearly ongoing uh, review happening of sort of the ownership status of TikTok. Um, you know, I think one of the other things that I'm kind of curious about in this is, you know, obviously China has been a, you know, big competitor for the U.S. for several decades now and, and sort of a big focus of our political system as a competitor. Um, and we have a multi-layered relationship that has facets where we can get along, we work along well, and, and facets where we disagree pretty strongly. Um, I'm just curious to hear how much of the skepticism about TikTok do you think comes from some of these other areas where we might have unrelated disputes, say whether it's a trade dispute or IP policy questions, or how much is it you know, that China makes a good boogeyman for US politicians? Yes, there, there is an element of the boogeyman. So, you know, not all, you know, of these kind of tough actions and tough legislations, not, not all of it is 
justified against China. There are a lot of areas, especially in technology, where uh, China and the U.S. can uh, can work together. So yeah, I mean, two of the biggest countries in the world, two of the most technologically advanced countries in the world. Uh, we do need to find common ground on a huge number of pressing issues that transcend borders. But you know, when it comes to uh, military affairs, national security affairs, the threat is that you know there there are certain places where China actually has staked very aggressive claims that the U.S. under its various defense treaties is required to uh, stand up on, is required to come to the aid of our allies. Going a little bit back to sort of the state of play, you know, TikTok is clearly trying to address the concerns, at least on their face, um, of putting in protocols through Project Texas in this partnership with Oracle that they are disconnecting or preventing access from, you know, China or Chinese authorities to data collected in the U.S. about U.S. citizens. You know, and that, that was sort of the outcome of the pressure that the Trump administration put on them is, is to put to work through this partnership. Um, but we've seen reporting recently from BuzzFeed that, you know, maybe the strictures that they are attempting to put in place to allay concerns aren't quite as strong as they're presenting. Um, do you want to talk a little bit? You've, you've mentioned the BuzzFeed reporting a little bit, but do you want to tell a little bit more about that story? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, so the the fundamental problem here is that TikTok is trying to create the impression, trying to make the case that its American operation is separate from the Chinese operation, that there is a firewall between them and no data will pass from the American office to the Chinese office. You know, ByteDance, which is, ByteDance is the name of the parent company in China. What happened is that in May, ByteDance uh, opened up a new company, um, and I forgot the exact name. It's like the Demo International, kind of international trade company. It, it sounds like a shell company. Um, and the, the Chinese Communist Party owns a 1% stake, which is kind of interesting. Um, and, and they're using this other company to distract uh, from the problem at hand. They're saying that, you know, with this other company, this other company now is separate. Like, we're going to use this company for the, the Chinese operations, and then the American operations will simply be in America. Um, so they're, they're trying to make it look like, you know, there are two companies. But one problem is that, okay, well, TikTok is still actually owned by ByteDance, the parent company. Like simply creating a new company and making it separate isn't going to uh, change that reality. Um, China is, you know, world famous, like many countries for shell companies and these, these kind of winding Byzantine corporate structures. Often a Chinese firm will open a subsidiary in Hong Kong, which is very opaque. And then that will own a company in the British Virgin Islands. And then the British Virgin Islands company will own the subsidiary in New York. And, you know, like if you're listing on the New York Stock Exchange, um, you'll actually be listing the Caribbean shell company and not the actual company. And this is my concern right now with TikTok, um, with their defense, is that they're creating a strange corporate structure and trying to say, well, look, you know, now like we're separate, there's a firewall. And then they're saying, well, Oracle, which has deep roots in China, is now working with the American uh, the, the American side of TikTok to, uh, you know, put data on the cloud and to block it off. Like it's not going to be accessible in China. Um, before they said they were putting it, I think in Virginia in a, in a server somewhere. They also had Singapore as one option. But I, I don't think they've done a sufficient job making clear 
exactly where the data is based. I mean, okay, so Oracle's putting it on the cloud. What does that mean? The cloud, you know, the cloud doesn't exist out of nowhere. It's not literally a cloud. It's just a term for data that's parsed up and, you know, stored in different, in various servers and little pieces, you know, in different places, you know, just to, to make it more efficient, easier. Um, so where are the servers? Like the servers are going to be in America. I mean, if they're in America, that's good at least. Uh, one other point that I think is a red flag is that, you know, this, there was reporting by the Intercept a couple of years ago. They got a leaked, leaked documents that showed that even within America, uh, TikTok was handing over Americans' data to the U.S. government, um, and the company refused to say when asked whether, you know, that was handed over with a warrant or a court order, you know, an actual legal process. Like, if they're, if they're doing that in America, then they're definitely doing it in China. Like, there, there's no question about that. It's a matter of inference. So th these are all red flags, and this is all the kind of thing we're going to have to look at in the coming, you know, as we tackle with the TikTok issue. Yeah, no, I, I think it's 100% a challenge and it's part of the ongoing question that I think Congress is asking, you know, clearly a number of members of Congress, I think there was a letter that circulated among um, uh, about 13 Republicans in response to the BuzzFeed reporting, you know, re-raising these questions about like, we are already skeptical and now there's this reporting that the thing that you're doing to allay our concerns isn't actually addressing our concerns um, because of the continued access potentially by um, Chinese authorities and you know the larger company by dance uh, in China. I, I guess that brings me to what do you expect from Congress in sort of the near future in relation to TikTok and what, what is their interest um, going forward? So uh, I do think that this is going to become one of the big issues in Congress in the next session coming up. Um, you know, I've heard chatter from, you know, around various, con various contacts, various offices saying that this is going to be one of the priorities in the, in the technology field, in the foreign affairs field. Um, so I, I'm not totally sure right now which committees or which uh, members of Congress are going to be tightly focused on it. I mean, I would assume it's going to be the usual suspects to some degree. So, you know, Ted Cruz, who's big on China, there's the, the CECC, which is the China um, the, the, the China Focus Committee in, in both the House and the Senate, I think it's bicameral. Um, you know, there's, there's the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Senate Foreign Affairs Committee. Um, my, I, I do think that we're going to see more legislation coming out of some of these bodies in, in the coming year. And it also strikes me as a topic that's increasingly part bipartisan. So, you know, anybody in Congress who's kind of a centrist, right center, left center. Um, I think they're going to be on this topic. I don't really foresee the, the further ends of the spectrum getting into this. Uh, they, they have their own, you know, their own reasoning, their own kind of ideology that, that prevents them from getting involved in TikTok. But I, I like I just recommend that everyone pay it if you're interested in this topic, pay attention to the news cycle. Um, I'm sure a lot of, you know, great investigations are going to be coming out. We're going to finally pull away the veil and see whether or not Chinese Communist Party is now infiltrating America with TikTok. And it, it's a strong possibility they are trying to do it. And that's going to be a, a big conclusion. I mean, if that does happen, it's going to be a big deal. This concern fits into, you know, I think China skepticism sort of skews party lines a little bit um, more than some other issues, a, a, as you sort of acknowledged. But additionally, there have been ongoing conversations in Congress around privacy, you know, updating privacy laws. And there's ongoing debate around how much should be set at the federal level versus the state level, which sort of plays into this as well as, 
you know, I saw reports that the Biden administration and the Commerce Department is considering putting out um, recommended legislation around apps and, you know, particularly apps that are owned or, or controlled by foreign entities that will be a part of this conversation, I'm sure. Um, as well as, you know, we mentioned early on, you know, the content moderation, the election misinformation discussions that have been gone ongoing in Congress ever since 2016 election, you know, I, I think will will be something that, you know, TikTok's name keeps coming up in um, in, in discussions around those legislation. Um, well, I, I really appreciate that. I think that was a great sort of introduction into the issue of TikTok and, and why people view it as a sort of a national security threat. Um, so I, I really appreciate that conversation. Thank you so much. And thank you for also making this interview easy on me. So thank you. Uh, take care. Great. Thanks, Jason. The ProLegis U.S. Code Redlines feature uses advanced technology to show you at a glance how legislation changes existing law. This powerful free feature doesn't exist in any other service available today. In a side-by-side -side view with a column of bill text on the left and relevant sections of the U.S. Code on the right, you can easily identify additions and deletions in the U.S. Code. Section headers that follow along as you scroll and an expanded column view make side-by-side -side reading easy. You can even upload your own bill text to ProLegis to view how it interacts with existing U.S. code. Sign up for a free ProLegis account to get access to the U.S. Code Redlines feature today. That's all for this episode of The Congressional Record. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to sign up for your free ProLegis account if you haven't already. You can go to ProLegis.com, that's P-R-O-L-E-G-I-S.com, to find additional show notes and sources for each of our episodes. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Our handles are in the episode notes as well. Finally, I want to give special thanks to Jason Lemons for stepping in as host this week, and Jeff and Lincoln Network for sharing their expertise. I also want to thank Amelia Schuster for her editorial support. We'll see you next week on the Congressional Record.